Hello and welcome back, Supreme Court buffs. My name is Aaron Larson, and you are listening to the third episode of Landmark Decisions in the United States Supreme Court. The main focus of this podcast will be to highlight the key decisions that made the Supreme Court and the United States what it is today. In today's installment, we will be looking at the main two cases that led up to the legacy that Marbury v. Madison left in the field of judicial review. To explain more, these two cases were some of the earliest attempts for the Supreme Court to apply judicial review as a concept in the federal government. This process began, actually, in many of the state courts. By 1787, the state courts of Rhode Island, New Jersey, and North Carolina had at one point overturned state laws. This is, in essence, the definition of judicial review. Because of this widening use in the states, the Supreme Court looked to apply the practice to its own court in the years prior to Marbury v. Madison. Possibly the most controversial case decided prior to the Marshall Court was Chisholm v. Georgia, which took place in 1793. And the latter of the two cases we will be looking at today is Hilton v. United States, which came during the short-lived Ellsworth Court in 1796. These two cases will be the main focal points for today's episode. Our story starts in 1792, where the background of Chisholm v. Georgia begins. In this year, Alexander Chisholm of South Carolina attempted to sue the state of Georgia. Chisholm was the executor of the estate for Robert Farquhar, who had supplied the state of Georgia supplies during the Revolutionary War. The standing in this case for Chisholm was that he was due payments for goods that were never resupplied to the Farquhar family in the aftermath of the Revolutionary War. Edmund Randolph, Attorney General of the United States at the time of the case, argued on behalf of Chisholm, who was the plaintiff. The defendant in the case, the state of Georgia, refused to appear before the court as it claimed that it was a sovereign state and could not be sued without its consent. The precedent of Georgia not appearing before the court is something that it practices in many cases where it is the defendant, and we will see this in later years. The overall question of the case revolves around the idea, can state citizens sue state governments in federal court especially if they are private citizens of another state. The case was argued on February 5, 1793, and was ultimately decided on the 18th of the same month. The court ruled in favor of Chisholm by a vote of 4-1. to one. Chief Justice John Jay, as well as Associate Justices Blair, Wilson, and Cushing, wrote their seriatim opinions acting as the majority. The overall ruling on the case was that Article 3, Section 2 of the Constitution grants federal courts the power to hear disputes between private citizens, for which Chisholm was, and states for which Georgia was. The sovereign immunity of a state is not applied here, for the Constitution allows the suit to go through. The question that Justice Wilson points out, in his opinion, is a state's sovereignty in the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court. 
To this question, he and the other three justices replied yes. The United States is a group of states forming one nation, not many different states working together. Associate Justice Iredell was the only dissenter in the case. He reasoned that under common law, each state was sovereign in its own right and could not be sued without their consent, which they would probably never give. While he was the sole dissenter, Iredell's opinion eventually took the form of the 11th Amendment in the Constitution, which laid out that the judicial power of the United States shall not be construed to extend any suit in law or equity commenced or prosecuted against one of the United States by citizens of another state or by citizens or subjects of any foreign state. This amendment was passed by Congress and the states as a direct response to Chisholm v. Georgia. The overall message in the Supreme Court case shows that state conduct is subject to judicial review. This caused a lot of controversy as we see that the amendment power granted to the federal government was applied in order to overrule a Supreme Court decision. Hilton versus the United States proves to be a much less controversial case than Chisholm. The United States Congress enacted the Carriage Act of 1794. This placed a tax of $16 on each carriage owned by an individual or business. Daniel Hilton, owner of many personal carriages, believed that this tax was a direct tax and needed to be apportioned as described in Article 1, Section 2 of the Constitution. This clause states that representatives and direct taxes shall be apportioned among the states according to their respective numbers, which shall be determined by adding to the whole number of free persons including those bound by a service for a term of years, and including Indians not taxed, three-fifths of all other persons. This means, if a direct tax is applied, it must be equally divided throughout the entire country by populations in each state. The entire argument in Hilton versus the United States is about what could be taxed directly by the U.S. government and was the carriage tax a direct tax. If this was the case, the tax would need to be apportioned among the states as written out in the Constitution. The case first went before the Circuit Court of Virginia, in which Hilton was convicted for not paying his tax on the carriages. An appeal was then sent to the Supreme Court. Alexander Hamilton, who had stepped out of Washington's cabinet a year prior, argued before the court on February 23, 1796 on behalf of the federal government and claimed that the tax was a valid use of congressional power. His speech lasted almost three hours in the chambers of the court, and Justice Iredell actually wrote in a later letter that it was the largest audience he had ever seen in the federal courts who came just to hear Hamilton speak. Hilton, of course, argued that the tax was not rightfully applied in accordance with the United States Constitution. The case was ultimately decided in favor of the United States, four votes to zero. 
with Associate Justices Chase, Patterson, Iredell, and Wilson offering seriatim opinions. Chief Justice Ellsworth and Associate Justice Cushing took no part in the case. The justices gave their opinions on March 8, 1796, and argued that the tax on carriages was an indirect tax and therefore did not need to be apportioned under Article I of the Constitution. A tax on the possession of goods is not a direct tax, the justices went further to say in their opinions. The justices also danced around the idea of judicial review in this case. Justice Chase argued that he was not completely sure whether the court had the power to declare an act of Congress void unless a very clear violation of the Constitution. While this form of judicial review was not as inflammatory as in Chisholm v. Georgia, we see that the court uses the power to affirm an act of Congress. While the use of judicial review in Chisholm v. Georgia proved to be quite controversial, and led to a new amendment in the Constitution to overrule the decision, Hilton v. United States did the opposite and allowed for the court to effectively use judicial review under the radar. It was not noticeable at the time, but by the time Marbury v. Madison came around in 1803, the cases would prove to be useful in fully applying the use of judicial review in a Supreme Court case. As we also saw in the last episode, these two cases are not obvious landmark decisions in the Supreme Court, but at the time they proved to be very decisive in determining what the Supreme Court's role would be in the federal government. At such an early time in American history, it is key to see the court finally starting to take its position among the other branches of government and attempting to mold their own fate. Today's episode represents the beginnings of judicial review, with one case being shot down, and the other provided a true test for future practice. Without these cases, Marbury v. Madison would have been much less responsive to its audiences and may not have officially established judicial review. Further reading from today's podcast can be found on the Library of Congress website where court decisions are published, as well as G. Edward White's Law in American History, Volume 1, pages 193 through 244. Come back next week when we will discuss the first major Supreme Court decision that has held precedent throughout history in Marbury v. Madison. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter under the username of at A-L-A-R-S-175 if you wish to leave me comments or questions on today's episode. I ask that you please follow, rate, and like my podcast so I can continue to improve my skills and gain more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today. All of the work and research done for this podcast is the sole property of myself, Aaron Larson, and shall not be downloaded or redistributed without my express written consent. Thank you.